Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, I'll tell you, we've uh, had a good week, or at least I had a good week. I hope you had a good week. And uh, I took off. That's why mine was so good. But I didn't leave home without God. How about that? God went with me. And, uh, you know, I had a good time. I marched, as a matter of fact, I, usually this time of the year I try to take off and, and uh, go just be by myself for a couple of days. And uh, just to... Just to rest, basically, uh, not be inactive, but just to rest. And the best way I know to do that is to go play golf. And uh, don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to be around anybody, just want to go play golf. Just, just hang out. Uh, the ride to me, and riding in the car, I don't listen to anything, I'm just, just riding. And uh, listen, you know, see what God's going to say in me and to me. Amen. And uh, I enjoy that, uh, go out, you know, like I said, and play golf, and uh, the Lord tells me a lot of things out there on the golf course. Uh, I don't play it very much. I think last year I might have played one time other than the week that I was gone or the few days I was gone. And, uh, and, and today, this is, this is no different. I probably won't play maybe about once, maybe twice between now and next October, but October's a good time of the year. I figure, you know, if it's going to get down into the 70s, you know, the temperature-wise, that's a good time to go. Maybe it will inspire me to play in the 70s. It didn't, but it, but it was, you know, at least it was a hopeful thought, you know. But, uh, you know, I wanted it to be comfortable. I like being able to go up to the northern part of the state and the mountains and the trees are changing colors and the leaves are, and, and it just kind of relaxes me. And so uh, I like to go do that. And so this past week I did that, and there were some things that I did learn to step off of the camera. Peter told me I needed a prop, so I got one. And so uh, anyway, there were some things that I had taken into consideration and learned why I was there. And the God was uh, revealing some things to me, even about the word that was ministered last week. And so we're going to... Uh, for you ladies, it's not going to be a golf lesson, okay? But there's an example in it that I'm going to share with you that you'll, you'll find interesting. And uh, just to kind of give you a little retake, if you weren't here last week, we did uh, minister it on anxiety. Anybody here besides me ever been anxious about something? I think everybody here has. And you know what? I'm sure and quite confident you'll have the opportunity again probably before Friday. You know? Uh, there'll be some things that will come up. And last week we had basically... I uh, wanted to go over some things that, about anxiety, what to do about the anxiety that's coming your way. And the number one thing was I brought out was the fact that we need to know God's will. And if we know his will, then we know where he stands on it. And so when the devil begins to suggest things to you or you begin to see things and, and misinterpret what you're seeing, uh, you'll know what to compare it to and say, well, that's not what God's word says. And so you can stop. Uh, the anxiety before it takes root in your life because it will if it if possible get into your life and it will dominate everything about you and uh, the next thing one that was like point number one I didn't really get to go over those really in, in a great detail and I'm not going to do that today either but maybe another time the other one was is when we 
to uh, help deal with anxiety is you've got to know you've got to ask God and pray in faith, believing that you receive when you pray, amen? And so you ask for God for help. help. Ask God for help with anxiety. Number three was about meditating on his word, meditating on his word and his will. We may go into some of that today. And number four was to be a doer of what the word says, not just somebody that hears it. But anyway, we're going to go back to anxiety uh, and, and talk about it a little bit because we all are having to deal with it on a daily basis. If you're living, alive on planet Earth, especially in today, uh, you're, you're going to hear it. If you turn on the TV, you'll, you'll hear it. If you watch a movie, you're liable to see something that will cause you to be anxious. If you go to the mailbox, you're liable to be anxious. There's just many ways, many things, conversations at the water cooler at work, many things that will cause anxiety to come into your life. And so there I was out last week, and, uh, you know, I hadn't played in, in, well, I played one time this summer, and then so uh, before that it was probably six months, so really hadn't played very much. And so I, I expected that uh, as I'm playing golf, that my golf game's not going to start off real great. Well, that was an understatement, okay? It started off pathetic. And I had all kinds of excuses why it was not doing. Well, number one, I hadn't played in a long time. But how many of you know that that's only an excuse? You know, and I knew what to do. My mind told me this is what you do. I know the steps. Yet it just seems like no matter what I did, it just wasn't working like it was supposed to. It was just constantly inconsistent. The only consistency about my game was that it was inconsistent. And so there I'm out there playing, and I'm like, okay. Number one, my, my little hand here, my thumb, and, and this joint here was giving a little bit of pain, you know, say arthritis or whatever is wanting to grab a hold of me and has for years. I just refuse to accept it and still push through. So in other words, I have a little pain when it comes to your grip. But you know what? I can push through pain. It's no big deal. It's just pain. So I can tolerate that. Well, you know, you've been a little stiff as you get older, you know. I mean, you don't, you're not fluid as you would be when you were in your 20s. And so you get a little bit of pain in your back and in your neck and your shoulders and all over by the time you get through playing golf. But, but nevertheless, that's why you, God's given us ibuprofen. So, so to take that out. And so, you know, we get up there and a little stiffness, a little soreness, it's no big deal. You work through that. A little bit of pain in your hand, work through it. A little bit of pain in your back, to hey, just don't worry about it. Push through the pain. And you can do that. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to give this pain in my hand any room. I'm going to play golf. It's just pain. So then I was out there and lining up to play. And, you know, well, I am kind of stiff. I need to loosen up a little bit. So I try to loosen up. And I figure the more I move, the more loose I will get. You know, it'll be like stretching out. So I can go over there and do calisthenics and wear myself out, or I can just go play golf and loosen up that way. And that's basically the way my first day went, just thinking, well, I'm just getting back in the swing of things, you know. So that night I go to get up the next morning, and I get in the car and I drive for two hours, two and a half hours, show up at the golf course up in northern Alabama there in, in Florence, and uh, I get out to go play. So I get out, and I'm already realizing, you know, I'm kind of a little stiff from this two-and-a-half-hour drive. I need to loosen up. Well, after nine holes, and it wasn't loose yet, 
I'm not playing like I should be. I'm, I get up there, I, I tee off, and it goes over here instead of where I wanted it to go. And I thought, well, that's just because I'm stiff. I'll, I'll just fix that. I get up there, and I hit another one. It goes right over there and joins it in the woods as well. And this is like, well, this is no fun. I mean, who wants to go lose golf balls? Or, you know, I, I'm wanting to play golf. So I get up, and I'm like, okay, I'll just adjust myself a little bit, and I'll play, hit another one. Well, it goes this way, but I'm not even facing the direction I should be hitting. Why am I hitting over there? I wasn't fixing the problem. I was just changing my position. And that's not doing the right thing. So I'm like, I need to fix the problem here. And so I played pretty much Tuesday all the way to about hole number 15 or 16. And I was frustrated. Wasn't because my hand was sore. Wasn't because I'm back is a little sore, getting stiff or whatever. I was frustrated because where I wanted the ball to go wasn't going there. It seemed like it kept going somewhere else. And my glasses that I, I normally wear, these are the newer ones, and they're good and tight so I could shake my head and they just stay right in place. Well, the other ones, they're kind of a little loose, so they work their way down my nose. And as I said, as I was playing, I got a little lazy. Instead of keep pushing it back up, I just said, I ain't bothering. I'll just leave it down there. Well, I found out something. If I left those glasses down, I could see the ball. Now, the thing was is that these are bifocals, and so I would always start off, even when they were up, I could see the ball. But as I went back, my head raised up just a little bit, just but not staying up and it goes to the bifocals which now my ball is turned blurry so everything's a blur as I come through it's still a blur and by the time it hits the ball I can see again and I see it go right into the woods well on hole number 16 I believe or 15 it being down there I'm like, I don't care. Ain't, what's it going to hurt? Game's sorry anyway. Wow. It goes right where I want it. And I'm like, well, how about that? I didn't put it together right away. And being lazy and tired, I just kept on playing. And I, all of a sudden, I pushed it back up, and I went to swing. And as I did my backswing, it was blurry. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What's the deal? And I had been doing that for two days playing with a blur how many times do we go through life seeing looking in the right direction knowing what we're supposed to do knowing everything about it i mean i went through all the little things don't raise up keep your head down you know the everything all this don't try to kill it went through all the little steps yet it kept going over here because i couldn't see the ball oh well i saw it but it was a blur i couldn't couldn't see it clearly and so I kept pulling it in a different direction I'd even stand there, I'd look at my feet am I aiming over there what what is the deal so the next day I decided I'll just pull my glasses right down here and we'll just play all day with them right out here like some reading glasses or something because at this position I look down and it's always clear and so guess what I played a great game and the Lord brought that to my attention that it wasn't the fact that I didn't see. I couldn't see properly. It was somewhere during the day or the motion. 
of our life that I wasn't, I lost clarity. I lost focus. Things became distorted. And that's what happens a lot of times in, with anxiety. You can be saved and, and been serving God for 40 years. But if your vision gets distorted of what you're looking at, you're going to end up in the wrong place. And so that's what happened last week when I went to play golf. I was able to, to get a little of that, and it was just reassuring inside of me. And the Lord said, minister about this. So now that we've talked a little bit about golf, anybody want to go play? You know, anxiety tries to creep in, but it doesn't just try to creep in. It creeps in for a purpose, and that is to seize your heart. It wants to seize your heart. It wants to cause you to come into a state of panic about things that concern you, usually your children, your mate, your finances, your health, maybe your business, whatever it is. It's come to seize, to attack, to distort the truth. And uh, very often the state of panic is caused by something that doesn't even exist. Huh? Something that doesn't even exist. Something that you see in your mind's eye about tomorrow. Which doesn't even exist today. And so here it is, things that, it, that is causing us to panic. This anxiety does this. It doesn't even exist. And probably will never exist. But it can exist if you allow it. You know, the thoughts of these non-existing things distort what's really there before you. You know, I know of uh, people who, let's just say that if you were a, a, a wife or a mother and, and you had children and you'd look and you were constantly ang had anxiety pertaining to their health. Well, you know, I got to watch my little baby, you know. I mean, he, he could be uh, sick, he could have this, he could have that. And the baby could be perfectly healthy. Yet you're constantly concerned about him getting sick of some kind, some kind of sickness, some kind of disease, whatever. And about the time you get over that, guess what? Now you're worried about your husband. Hopefully he doesn't have a heart attack. And, and, and both of them are healthy as can be. But you can continually live your life in anxiety that something bad is going to happen to them, although nothing is wrong with them. Now, I've known people that did that. We would, may call them a hypochondriac if it was them that was always the one that was sick. But what about the person that was always thinking about their children or their mate being sick? It's because they're distorting what's really before them. And they're doing it in their mind. How about a businessman? He goes, he's got a business. He built it from the ground up. He knows his business from one end to the other. Started off with just a little bit, but he's worked at it, worked at it hard. Now he's got some things. He's become successful. But yet, in the middle of all this success, he begins to meditate on the fact that, look at what I've gotten here, that God's blessed me with so much. I sure hope the devil doesn't come and take it. You know, the news says that the economy's messed up. The inflation is taking place, and we can't get products, and this is going to happen, and I can't find any help, and, and all of these type things, and before long, his vision is now distorted from the blessings of God upon his life. He can't even enjoy it because he's thinking that because the news reports and everything else is telling him, it's all going. I better hang on to what I got because it's all fixing to take a walk, and I'm fixing to be back at zero again 
Now what am I going to do? He can't even enjoy the blessings of being obedient and walking with God and doing what he's supposed to do because his vision has been distorted. It's become blurry like that golf ball. Although he's looking in the right direction, the vision is getting distorted. You can be looking at the things of God and, and have your vision be distorted. How many of you realize that Satan suggests things to you? Huh? He suggests things to you. They're not even real. They may have an element of truth in it. But even if it did have an element of truth, it's probably so distorted that what he's doing is painting you a picture to meditate upon. He wants you to see this instead of who you really are. Now, all he did was suggest it. He can't make you do it. So anxiety is only a suggestion. And we have to make a choice whether we're going to go that route or not. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's a suggestion. And that's what a lot of, the, of anxiety is. It's just merely a suggestion. But how many of you know so many people, so many, a lot of people are controlled by fear that they end up praying fretful prayers instead of faithful prayers. Anybody here besides me ever done that? Praying prayers that are based in anxiety or fear and not faith. And if you've ever done that, you know that uh, you're wasting your time. You may think you're getting somewhere, but you're not. Praying fretful prayers doesn't get you anywhere. It just causes, it's just non-productive. And God does not respond to fretfulness. He doesn't respond to fear. He responds to faith. He responds to faith-filled prayers. Because, see, that faith says this. I trust God more than I trust my situation. I trust my God more than I do the circumstances that I'm dealing with. And when it's only anxiety, come on. So what are you saying? I trust God. I trust the anxiety. What could happen? What might happen? Some suggestion the devil gave me over what God's word says when he said that he is saying yesterday, today, and forever. I chose to follow after a suggestion. No, I'm going to follow after love. God loves me, and I'm going to stick with that. That's what faith is, is, is rooted in, love, the love of God. I choose to believe God because he loves me. I'm not going to believe this suggestion because that devil doesn't care anything about me. And it opposes the very truth of God loving me. And if God didn't love you, he had never sent Jesus. Isn't that right? But he does love us. He does love us. And so last week, uh, we read a, a few different scriptures uh, pertaining to anxiety and how God wants us and takes care of us. One of those uh, being the fact that that he's taking care of the birds of the field, uh, air and the, the clove the fields and so forth, and he'll surely take care of us. And he said this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, focus on seeking the kingdom and the king, and all this will come. If you're looking at trying to add cubic to your height, it's not going to happen. If you're looking to try to figure out how am I going to feed myself in the midst of famine, it's not going to happen. Stay focused on the king.
stay focused on the truth is what he's saying. And over in Philippians 4, 6, we read over there last week, it says, be careful for nothing, but in all things, you know, giving thanks unto God and so forth. Be careful for nothing. And that word careful is anxiety, anxiousness. Be anxious for nothing. Don't let anything cause you to become anxious. How many of you know anxiety only brings fear? It produces fear in your life. It doesn't produce faith. It paints you that different picture. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we looking at? Well, anxiety, the very Greek word of anxiety, means to divide. To divide. It comes for one purpose, and that is to divide. So anxiety's purpose is to divide, to separate, to, to pull you in a different direction from where you are. So what's it going to divide you from? You're walking down through here, and you're and just enjoying life. You're enjoying the God's presence or whatever. Anxiety comes to separate you from that love of God. Are you hearing me? So you have to really ask, you have to just tell yourself when you feel anxiety or a little, you get anxious about certain things, you heard something that kind of disturbed you a little bit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is it there? It is there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to try to separate me, divide me from where I already am. I'm in Christ, and that's coming to divide me, to separate me, to cut me off from what I'm hooked to. But if we don't really think this all the way through, you say, well, you know, I just, you know, I heard what it said, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me. Then you find yourself right down the road thinking about it. All he did was suggest it to you. We choose to either follow that suggestion, that train of thought, and let it continue to paint us a picture, or we choose, no, I'm sticking with what the Word says. Dismiss it. No, I'm not going to go there. You know, in the last days, over in Luke's gospel, if you want to uh, turn there, uh, we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 21 in just a minute. But in Luke 21, I'm going to read a different verse to you to start with. Well, let's go ahead and look there. Luke 21, chapter, uh, verse 25. Luke 21, 25. They can put that on the screen. Aren't y'all glad we got a young man up there that knows the Bible? He can pull it right up. It says, talking about the last days. And we all understand we're in the last days. And uh, have been since the book of Acts. And we're just keep on moving. Every day is another last day. And it says here in the last days, they were asking him questions about the last days. And this particular one, in verse 25, he says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the, upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Verse 26. Notice this, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which don't even exist, but in, there are coming upon the earth. Are you seeing that? Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. In other words, it's not here yet. But their hearts are failing because they're looking at things that's going to take place. They're having heart attacks, anxiety, 
The body's just being worn out. All kind of things. They're making poor decisions. They're doing all kind of things because they're looking at what's coming. Let me ask you something. How much can you... I mean, you're looking at things coming. I mean, people are looking at the economy and, 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 and things like that right now because of the inflation and gas prices and, and all the boats out in the, in the ocean sitting there collecting dust. They're not being in the ports. Pictures on the Internet and the newspaper and the television of, of grocery stores that are empty. That just brings peace to you, don't it? Guys, it means you don't have to go to the grocery store because there's nothing to go get. But to the wife, it's like, I have nothing to cook. I've got to go to the store. I've got to go buy. And so there's this, all this anxiety. We've got to go buy. We've got to go buy. We've got to go spend. We're going to pay extra money and get less and, and just on and on. And this is what is being painted to us at this time in our life right now. If you're watching TV, if you're reading the news at all, this is what's we're being told. That and the fact that the FBI will come and arrest you for harassment if you talk to any school board. I mean, all kind of things is going on. And all of that's there to distract you and distort you from what you really should be looking at, which is Jesus. Now, you can live your life of, well, Jesus is just something we do for two hours on Sunday. Or he can really be your everything. As we sang a few minutes ago, he's our everything. And if he's our everything, then he'll be your everything tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day, because he is peace. He is your source of everything. And so it says there that their hearts will fail them from looking upon what's coming upon the earth. Verse 27 it says, and they shall see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And these things begin, and when these things begin to, to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. How many of you realize that it says here, and when these things come to pass, then look up and lift up your head? How many of you know you don't have to wait till then to do that? You can actually look to him now. You can actually lift your head up now. You can actually look to him now. We don't have to wait till all of this comes on. As a matter of fact, he's telling us this is how we ought to live anyway. And if we would look, lift our head up now, we're not looking down at this earth. We're looking to him. Lift your head up and look to him. So we need to do that. We need to start doing that now. Now we're going to back up a little bit in that book to verse 19. And this is where we're going to thrust mainly today, is on verse 19. Short verse. Only seven words long. We could probably memorize that one. It says, In your patience, possess ye your souls. In your patience, possess ye your souls. Now, the word souls there is not the same souls that you would hear a lot of times. That particular soul is the spirit man. Uh, the, the Greek word is suke. Okay, so that's what it, it's saying, which is breath, and it's talking about the spirit of man. Now, man is a three-part being consisting of a spirit, a soul, and a body. 
And the soul part that we talk about many times is, makes up the mind, the will, and the emotions. In other words, your intellect, your will, and your emotions about how you're dealing with things. And we would call that the soul. But this particular soul is really should have probably been translated spirit. Because it's not talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions, but it's talking about the spirit, the spirit man, the inner man, the new man. Jesus is not really saying that we should, that we should be relying upon our intellect. In your patience, possess you your intellect. How much can your intellect do for you? A little bit, but we're dealing in a, in a supernatural realm. Your intellect is limited. Your education is limited. How about your will? You can only will so long, right? How about your emotions? Oh, in your patience, possess your emotions. He's not wanting you to possess your emotions. That, and we'll get to those other two words there in just a few minutes. We're just going to go a little bit backwards to make better sense of it and bring clarity to it. But he's talking about your spirit man. Many times we allow our intellect, our education, our training, uh, what we've been, we look to that more than we do to the Word of God, and which we don't need to do. And many times we seek our will before we seek God's will. And many times we allow our emotions to dictate how we're going to react instead of seeking Holy Spirit to how we should respond. So we can't count on our intellect. We can't count on our, our will. And we can't count on our emotions. We have to count upon and look towards what does God's word say? What's the spirit man saying? What did he say? Well, Vine's Concordance says this about that word. <coughs> excuse me. About the souls. It says that it is the inward man or the seat of the new life. It means the inward man, the new man, or the seat of this new life of we're living. So if you look at that, you can see that when it says, in your patience, possess this new life. Possess the new life that you've been given. Possess the inner man. Not the, the old man. Not the things of this world. But possess the new life that you've been given. Now, that changes everything. And the cross-reference to this particular word is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, 39, and it says this. Jesus said, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my name's sake shall find it. And he, this is the cross-reference talking about a new life. Not emotions, not intellect, not a will, but the Spirit, the living God. First Peter is another cross-reference to this particular Greek word. And it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the inner man, which war against the seat of the new life. So, in patience, possess this new life that you have. You have a new life. You have an inner man, the real you, a born-again being. Free from sin. Possess that. Stay focused on that. Allow your decisions to be made based upon that. But let that be what you possess with patience. Not your old man. So, in doing so, this, let's look at this word 
Uh, well, the word possessed means to, to get, to acquire by any means. And it also means this, own, own, O-W-N. So we could read that in patience, own the new man, own it. Don't wish for it. Don't try, own it, get it, keep it, walk in it, own the new man. Walk in the new life that you have. Don't be walking in the old life. Walk in the new life that you have. Old man is dead. We reckon him dead. Now, this word possess, uh, again, means to, to by all means own it. That's what it says, by all means. But what about this word patience? Now, the word patience for most of us has uh, probably been distorted, whatever. I mean, growing up, my mom or dad would say, be patient. Anybody here besides me had that happen? Marcia told Peter all the time growing up, be patient. You know why? Because it wasn't. But when we hear these words, be patient, you know what we think? I'll tell you what he thought. The same thing I used to think. It means wait. It, and how many of you know that wait sounds better than no? Huh? Wait is always better than no. But that's not what patience is. Patience does not mean wait. And if you've got this concept or, or this thinking that when you're reading across there and it says, be patient, means just wait, you're, you're going to miss it. Because that's not what the word means. It says there, in patience, own the inner man. So what's it saying? Wait by owning the inner man? No. So what does patience really mean? Well, that word is hupomino in the Greek, which is a compound word consisting of hupo, which means under, and mino meaning to stay or to abide. Oh, and that changes things up a little bit. So we could just say it this way. Abide, what? Abide or own the new life. We could say it that way. But the thing is, though, we're talking about hupo. Mino would be fine, but now we're talking about hupo, so we have to look at it and say, okay, hupo being under. So how about this then? When you're under attack, abide in your the, the own, the, the new life, abide in what you, in the new life. We could say it that way. Still quite not exactly what it needs to be. So what is it really saying there? It means this then. It means, Mino means to keep your position. To resolve to maintain some territory that has been granted or gained. It means this. This is my spot and I'm not moving. So if you're focused on God and you're focused on his promises, you're focused on what he said, you're walking in his ways, you're walking in his word, and something comes to you, a suggestion which distorts the truth, it's coming there to what? To steal, to kill, destroy the truth. It's coming there to take away. Anxiety's there to come to divide, right? It's to remove you from where you are. So when that happens, you have to say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. This is my spot, and I ain't moving. 
this is not going to cause me to move. This is my place. What is your place? The inner man, the new life. I'm not going to separate from it. I don't care what they say. I'm sticking with it. So the word muno means basically to be rooted, unmovable, and stable right there. I'm not going anywhere. Now the situation there changes just a little bit when you get into the fact that it's under. Because the devil would like to tell you some things about being under. You know, well, you know, you're under. It says under. Now this tells me that when you're under a heavy load, a heaviness, that's all the more reason you need to stay focused and not be moved. Okay, it says there when you're under the abiding, where you're abiding and it's heavy and it's a load there, I'm not moving, I'm going to stay right here in my spot. Again, regardless of how heavy the load is or how long it takes, you have to refuse to move away from that position. A better example probably than that would be that of a military sense. When you applied it in the military back then, it would mean this. It would be saying, now listen, uh, this is the area that we have gained in battle and you're here to maintain this particular region now you will be coming under attack you will be having odds uh greater maybe against you things are going to be coming and it's not coming just to kill you it's coming to recapture this territory now your job is while you're under this attack is to be what to be abiding here at all costs you don't move you stay put. This is your spot. No, you can't retreat. No, you can't run off. This is your spot. You stay here. Are you hearing me? That would be more of the military term for it, would, it would be. And they're saying, you're going to do it. As a matter of fact, you're going to do it for so long till the enemy gets tired and realizes you're not going to give up and just moves on to somewhere else. That's how long it will take. But, it will move on. And that's what he, the, in the military term would be. And along in the things of scripture. You resist the devil. And he'll what? Flee. So when you're under attack of the devil. No matter what it is. Whether it's just a suggestion. Or whether it's anxiety. Full blown. Or whatever it may be. You resist it. And it will leave. If you want to entertain it. Well just bring it on in the house. And feed it dinner. Guess where you're going to end up. You're going to be living in that lie, but you don't have to. Now, the King James Version uses the word patience here. And a better word for a more accurate rendering would be endurance. Endurance. As a matter of fact, it should be cheerful endurance. And the reason you can be cheerful about it is because you know that the word's going to prevail. And if you don't know that, then it's not, you may be enduring, but you're not very cheerful about it. Okay? But if how can you rejoice, and again I say rejoice, when, when you don't know the outcome? We know the outcome. We ought to rejoice. But here he says, there, patience. Uh, and the, one scholar calls this word patience, like I said, it should be endurance. One calls it staying power. The staying power. Another one would call it the hanging in there power. I don't know about you, but I kind of like both of those. You know, you're going to stay in right here, the staying power, and the hanging in there power. Because sometimes things come at you that's pretty tough. 
But patience will never, ever, ever mean just to wait. Just to wait. You know, my dog has better patience than most people. And the reason I know that is because I watch it. My wife, he'll be in the kitchen. She'll be over there cooking, and he knows he's not allowed to go in that area of the kitchen. She'll say, you know, he's wanting something. He's got that nose up in there, and she'll say, you be patient. You know what he does? He lays down. He doesn't go in another part of the room. See, that's what Peter did. She'd say, be patient. He'd say, well, that means wait. I'll just go to my bedroom and play with something. No. Baron, he lays right there. I'm not moving from this spot. Are you hearing me? He knows more about what the word patience means than people do. I'm not moving. You didn't say no, so I'm staying right here. I know my place. I'm going to stay in this place because I know that I'm going to get what I want. It's just a matter of time. And that is what? To be fed. And he'll lay there. And he doesn't get up and go over there and keep doing all that. He just lays there. We can be eating at the table. He'll just lay there. He knows, don't come to this table. Mama's not giving you anything. Mama's not there. Daddy may sneak him something. But Mama's never going to give him anything. So he just lays there. He doesn't moan. He doesn't bark. He doesn't cry. He doesn't wander off. He just right there. He stays put. He understands patience. This is my place and I'm not moving. How many of you know Jesus had patience? Do you realize that when he was under attack, and he was under attack many different times, but there at the very last, he was under attack. Why? How? Well, he ended up having to be, he, he was in trial for his life. They, under scourging there, he, they beat him with whips and rods and spat upon him, did all kind of things. All the way through the crucifixion, he did not move from his spot. He saw it all the way through. The ultimate. And if God would send Jesus and he showed us the example of maintain this, do not give up, then you know what? We can do that too. We can maintain it. We can press through. We can do this. Jesus demonstrated this for us as an example so we could live. Understand this word, uh, hupomino, means uh, to stay in there. Stay with it. And it's one of the greatest weapons you'll ever have to use against the devil. Because you can say, devil, I ain't moving. I'm not moving. Somebody's going to leave. It's going to be you. I'm staying right here. So when stress comes, I'm not moving. I'm staying with the word. When anxiety comes, I'm staying with the word. When fear comes, I'm staying with the word. Well, you know, your, your sickness is out there. The plagues are out there. I'm staying with the word. You know, it said, be careful for nothing, but in everything, in prayer, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. This same word careful is the same word used when Jesus was talking about the sower and the seed. And he said that he sowed some of it out there. And what did it says there? He sowed some by the wayside and what happened? Remember that? It says immediately Satan came to, to steal the word. Immediately. Didn't wait around. He came immediately. So what do we see in that? He never was really interested in you. He's really interested in the word that's in you, and that's what he's come to divide from you. He wants to divide God's word in you away from him and take on this other picture. But he goes on and he says about the four different soils. He said the, the second one has no root in itself. The third one there it says 
it was rocky soil and it, and it said this it said that the cares of this world the cares of this world that word cares there is the same word as he used over here about being anxious have no anxiousness about the cares of this world and what did he say that the cares of the world did it choked the word it choked the word out in other words it strangled it it suffocated it fixated the word and it took the life out of it so what we have to do is realize no 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 anxiety is coming for one reason as to choke the word right out of me it's to kill the living god that's within me it's to come to divide me from the word the living god that's why it's there recognize what it is that's what jesus was saying it's come here to separate us and him speaking about this it suggests to me that there was probably worriers back then in those days as well as there is today why else would he be teaching about the cares of this world why because people have been worrying about things that what's coming on the earth for thousands of years so it, the thorns they have a part to play, but the part there, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word out. They choke it out. Well, we've read this scripture a few weeks ago when Peter was ministering, and it was says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So if God didn't give us a spirit of fear, we just shouldn't have one. Because if we really needed to have a spirit of fear, God would have been the one to give it to us. But he didn't give it to us. He didn't want us to have it. But he did give us this. A spirit of power and of love. And it says there a strong mind. Better translated would be a disciplined mind. Some translations, a lot of the newer translations would say self-control. God gave us a sound mind. A disciplined mind. <coughs> Excuse me. What are we doing with that disciplined mind? What are we doing with it? Is it sitting at the house? Or are we using it? He gave us self-control. Are we applying self-control in our lives? Because that's what he gave us. So what do we, what do we got? Well, fear is running rampant in our life. Well, he didn't give that to you. So run it off. You are a new creature in Christ. You don't need to be living in fear anymore. He gave you something else. A power, a spirit of power, a love, and a disciplined mind. Use the disciplined mind. If you're having a hard time with that, it's really not. Use it. This is where you go. So how would you go about doing that? Well, you know, the Bible says it this way. And this is really what I want you to get a hold of this morning. Psalms 2 says this. Uh, Verse 1, it says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing or an empty thing? Something that doesn't even exist. Isn't that what anxiety does? Doesn't even exist yet, but we're anxious about it. It says, why do the people, the heathen rage and people imagine? They're imagining something that's not even there. Why do we do that? Like I said, it was a, it's only a suggestion. But why would we take that suggestion and run with it? Like it was fact. Anxiety is a vain thing. It is an empty thing. Now the thing about imagination is this. And this is why the devil uses the imagination like he does. 
The first 14 times, well, 14 times in the Bible, the word imagination is used. The very first three out of four, it means conception. The first three out of four times, it means conception. I think the first one and the second one is conception. The third time it means twisted. The fourth time means conception. So the very four, four times, actually the 14 times, is there, it means conception or it means twisted. But think about this. Now, conception, when it's talking about the thoughts of, <coughs> of the people, the imagination was continually evil, their imaginations. He was talking about they were continually evil means they were twisted. When he was talking about these others here about conception. So what happens is Satan brings you a thought, a suggestion. And is looking to see, will you allow that to conceive with the life that's in you? Will you bring birth to this lie? Will you nurture it? Will you raise it and train it up and feed it and clothe it and house it? Because that's what he's wanting to do. So imaginations are not bad things. And we know growing up, you hear people talk about the imagination. And even in churches, I'm talking about bad. Full gospel churches, they would say, the imagination is evil. <coughs> and we continually say that. I caught slack from people before. For saying that God wants us to use our imagination. Well, you tell me, since the word meditate is the same word, if he told you to meditate, what's he telling you to do? Did he give you an imagination? I would say he gave it to you so you would use it. So how could imagination be an evil thing? See, it was one of those things that the early church... Uh, some years ago, it, even, that would take the, where, where the Bible says that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, and people turn it around and say money was the root of all evil. They're saying the same thing about imagination, yet God gave you the imagination. And he gave it to you to use. Matter of fact, what he wants you to do with that imagination is to imagine your life if you just would live according to the word of God. Can you imagine that? I hope you do, because that's what you ought to be doing. Imagining how your life would be if you lived it according to what God's word said. Because that's, where you will, that's what you'll get. Let conception take place in that. Fourteen times. Talking about being twisted. The imagination. Most of the time, in the, uh, I've studied this out to where when it says meditate, it's the same principle but it's towards the positive. And the word imagination is used most of the time towards the negative of being twisted and a conception taking place. But the imagination is not evil. Most of the time we would look and say, well, what's the difference between meditate and, and, and imagination anyway? Well, the, 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 the Greek part there, it would tell you, and the Hebrew would tell you that it means to murmur and to envision, to see and, and follow through you know, with that thought. See yourself where. Meditate on it. Imagine it. So that was the difference there. We see in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, it says, For though we wrestle not with flesh and blood, or, or walk, 
For though we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the God through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings, reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what I'm talking about here. The suggestions come. The reasoning comes. Your education may bring it. Fear may bring it. The television may bring it. The internet may bring it and suggest all kinds of things, but we've got to stop and say, no, 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 I'm bringing it into what does God's word say? What does his word say? That's where I'm going to live. Now, John 15, 7, could you put that up there for me? John 15, 7. Last night I was outside just enjoying the peace and quiet, looking at the sunset, and the Lord spoke this down in my spirit. I said, I've got to go in there and write that down before I forget. I want you to read this with me. If you abide in me, say that with me. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Let's read that first part. If you abide in me. How about that? If you abide in Is anybody here born again? Are you abiding in him? Huh? If you abide. Well, sure you are. If you're born again, you abide in me. See, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Say my words abide in you. You may ask what you will. Right? And it shall be done unto you. And the Lord said. I want you to read it a little slower. So I tried to do it again. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. He said, yes, that's, I said, okay, well, I, I still don't get it, God. He said, do you realize that you can be abiding in me, but my words aren't abiding in you? Do you see that? You can be abiding in me, but my words not abide in you. And so you're out here asking the will of God and it's not working in your life. Why? Because the word's not abiding in you. What's abiding in you is anxiety. What's abiding in you is fear. What's abiding in you is fretfulness when what should be abiding in you is my words. My words. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. Now that word abide doesn't mean that's the very same word, uh, hupomino, meaning I'm, it's staying right there. If my word stays in you, stays in you, even under attack, no matter what the consequence, it stays with you under any circumstance. Then you can ask what you will and it'll be given to. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's a mouthful right there. Another translation of that would say, if you steadfastly and continually abide in me, and if my word steadfastly and continue abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done. It's about being steadfast. It's about continuing. Acts 4.25 says this. Talking about, it's a quote about Psalms 2. It says, Who by the mouth of the servant David have said, why do the heathen rage and people imagine a vain thing? Imagine vain things. That word imagine there means to revolve in the mind. Why would you take something, a suggestion of the devil, 
and let it revolve around in your mind. Just sitting there rotating in your mind over and over and over. You don't need to do that. Don't need to do that. The same word is used again when it says it's in 1 Timothy 4.15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Revolve the word of God around in your mind over and over and over. That's what it says. Upon the word of God and give thyself wholly to it. And it'll be profitable for everybody. So we get to make a choice of what we're going to allow to abide within us. We've got a suggestion that's coming, but we can choose not to take that suggestion and to stick with the word. We make that choice. How many of you know Job made a choice? He had two things going around in his mind all the time. One, he loved God. Job loved God. He feared God. And God blessed him tremendously. But you know the story. One day, everything got taken away from Job. Then the next time he turned around, he had sickness come on his body. And it's amazing that in Job 3.25, it says this, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Now, the Bible talks about Job being walked with God and talked with God. He was a blessed man. He gave to the poor all the time. And if you read the whole thing, you would find out that he was always giving. He was always serving. He was always doing everything. He sat at the gate, gave wise counsel. Everybody looked to him. He was the wisest man, the richest man in the East. The blessings of God was all over him because he was a doer of the word. But there was an area of his life that he feared. He feared that his children might get drunk and curse God. That's what it says. And it said the very thing that he feared was going to happen, it was going to, his children would die, happened. It come on him. What he feared. Not what the children were doing. What he feared. So we get to make up our mind what we're going to do. Can you put up Joshua 1.8 up there for me, please? Or go to 1.6. Joshua, first chapter, verse 6. God was telling Joshua after Moses had, had left, and uh, he told him this. He says, be strong and of good courage. Now, we know Joshua was 80 years old. He's about 80 years old, and he says, be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swore their fathers to give them. Go to verse 7. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to the, all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now he told him in verse 6, he said, be strong and courageous. And in verse 7 he tells him again, he said, only be strong and courageous. Now why would he tell him to do that? It's he told him that because he's going to be opposition. He's going to need to be strong and he's going to be, need to be full of courage. Because... You're fixing to be opposed probably by two million of your own people. That's what he was saying. How many of you like that job? I'm going to tell you what. Him looking at the giants that he was going to go kill was a lot easier job than what he was fixing to face with this. Be easier to kill giants than to deal with this. But look at verse 8. Since he had to be strong and he had to be very courageous that he may observe to do all according to the word he meditated on it day and night. He meditated what? On the word. 
It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Some people may read that and say, you're not to even ever speak it. No, it means don't ever quit speaking it. Don't ever quit speaking what God's word says. You just keep it coming out of your mouth. <clears throat> but meditate therein day and night. So you want to know how to get rid of the suggestions the devil says? Meditate on what God says. The choice is yours. It's your choice. You get to decide what you're going to listen to. You get to decide what you're going to believe. Like God's word or what the devil suggests. Or what CNN suggests. Or Fox News. Or anybody else for that matter. You get to decide. Let's just jump through because time's sake. Go to Psalms 91. Can you put that up there for me? Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that what? Dwelleth. Oh, here we go. Being under, abiding, is that what we're talking about? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide, shall what? Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, you get to choose what you're going to abide under. You can be under the circumstances, under the situation. You can, you can be under attack. Or you can be under the shadow of the Almighty. You get to make the decision. But that word abide there is the same, same word. Even though this is in the uh, Chaldean or, or whatever, Hebrew, it's the same word, same meaning. You're abiding, you're staying put, you're not going to be moved. He that abideth or dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, what? Shall what? Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Or you can go abide under the devil, under his fear, under, the under anxiety. You get to make this choice. Verse 2, this is what happens if you do. Here's how you meditate on the word. I will say unto the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. If you would read this, Every day. He gets so to where you can quote it. Let it be alive within you. Because the word is alive. So I will say to the Lord. Lord you are my refuge. You're my fortress. My God in you will I trust. Every time the news media comes on. Every time you start looking at. This is going to happen. And that's going to happen. No the Lord's my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. He's my fortress. He is my God, in Him I'm going to trust. I'm not trusting in this other stuff. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowl and from the, from the pestilence. That word pestilence there, you know what it means? Plague, virus, disease. You hear me? Look it up. That's what it says. Surely He'll deliver me from the snare of the fowl and from the plague, from coronavirus, from COVID-19. He'll deliver me from any other virus that's coming. Are you hearing me? Let that be what's alive in you. 
He's going to deliver it. He said, well, what if I get it? He said he'd deliver you of it. So if you got it, he's going to deliver you of it. Just abide into this. Stay put. Don't move. Don't give in to it. I mean, it's real. But he said that he would deliver me. He shall cover me with feathers, and under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. His truth, his word. What did we say last week? About, so think upon these things. Whatsoever is what? True. That's what we're to think on. There again, that choice. We get to choose whether we're going to believe or think on that, or we can think on the things that, that are, causes anxiety to come into your life. What do you want to think on? Think on the word. Whatsoever is lovely, pure, just, it's the word of God that is. Think on these things. Think on these things. Thou shalt not be afraid from the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day. You don't need to be afraid of those things. Why? Because you're under the shadow of the Almighty. In, order, in other words, you're under his wing. And if the, if the arrow comes to you, it's going to have to go through the wing of God before it can get you. Verse 6, nor the pestilence, neither be afraid of the plagues, the virus that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near thee. Death is not coming near you. So I'm not going to have it, just not going to do it. Only with thy eyes shall thou, uh, behold, thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked. You're going to stay focused, see clearly the word. Quit looking down there through bifocals and it be distorted. You start off, you're looking in the right direction. <coughs> Excuse me. You're looking in the right direction. You know what's supposed to be there, but it becomes distorted. That's anxiety. You're looking to God's word. You want to walk in the things of God. You know it says that. But yet, what you're hearing out there, what you're seeing, what you're giving ear to is distorting the truth. Psalms 1. Go to Psalms 1. Let's see what it says about meditating on the word. Psalms 1, verse 1. It says, blessed is the man. Say, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, those suggestions. Nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is this man. He's not having anything to do with those things. Verse 2 says this, though. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, he, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He imagines what the word says day and night. He doesn't allow the suggestions of the devil to come in. He doesn't allow the anxiety to come in and paint him a picture, put thoughts in his mind, let him, and, and then start feeding those things and raising those fears. He said, no, I'm going to del delight myself in what God's Word says, and I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to imagine myself living it day and night, in the good times and in the bad times. When it, the sun of God is bright in my life and even when it's dark and I can't see my own hand in front of my face I choose to believe what God's word says 
Now, a guy that does that, in verse 3, it says this. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf, his countenance, also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth, he shall prosper. Now, I don't know about you, but that's where I want to live. How's it going to happen? Because you say it? No, because you do it. You're going to, what? Meditate day and night on what God said and not give place to the devil and his suggestions of causing anxiety to come. Delight yourself in the Lord. Let's look at one more scripture. Go to Psalm 63, and uh, let's pull up verse 6, and let's see what it says. I made a little note here. See how my note is. I'm, can we get there? Psalm 63, 3. Uh, I'm sorry, 63, 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Hello. When I remember thee upon my bed. The last thing you do when you go to bed at night is you ought to be thinking about the things of God. You ought to meditate on the things of God. And in your night season, in your night watches, do the same thing. When things aren't going good, things are bad at work, everybody's talking, it's going to collapse, this is going on, that's going on, this virus is coming, there's a plague that's even worse than the coronavirus, there's this and that. Now, listen, meditate on what God's Word says. Meditate on what His Word says. Feed yourself on that. Feed yourself on it over and over and over. Stay with it. Stay with the Word of God. You know, we could go on and on and on about this, but I want to bring up one more thing to you, and that's it. One more scripture verse. Something that we can basically probably live and relate to real good. I've shared it before and ministered on it, but we just want to give you a little taste of it again. And that is on the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob had went and entered into a covenant with Laban to work there for the hand of Rachel. And he worked seven years to get Rachel's hand, be her, to be his wife. Seven years he worked for him. And in the middle of that, guess what happened? The wedding night, Laban brought in Leah, the older sister. Now, she might have had a better character than Rachel but he wanted Rachel so he went into her and in the morning time because they didn't have electricity he didn't see her in the morning time he realized you gave me Leah instead of Rachel and Laban the daddy said well I know you got a raw deal on this but if you will work another seven years I'll give you give you Rachel in other words you can have them both so he finished up his week with Leah, consummating the marriage and all. And Rachel was able to come with him, and he worked for seven more years. Seven years. Fourteen years in all. And at the end of the 14 years, he came to Laban, and he says, I've met, I've done all that I was supposed to do, and he was going to leave town. <coughs> and Laban said this. He said, I have learned by experience that I have prospered because of you being here, because the blessing is on your life. And then just tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. And he told him, he says, you're not, well, he said, I, when I got here, this is what Jacob said, when I got here, you didn't have much of nothing. And what you did have was sick and poorly. 
And it is right. Because of the blessing on my life, you have enriched. You have been enriched and have got a multitude of things now. But you're not going to give me anything. I'll not receive anything from you. No man's going to say you made me, that, that, that you made me rich. I'm going to get it from you. But I'm going to work for it. And this is how I'm going to work for you. I'll do this. I will work for all the... I'll, I'll take all of the spotted and the speckled and striped cattle. All the cows, the sheep, the everything that's spotted and speckled and striped. And I will remove it three days journey. And I will begin to work those flocks. And whatever becomes spotted and speckled and striped, then that'll be mine. In other words, I'm going to have nothing but solid colors. And I'm going to work for it. Only thing I'll get is what becomes spotted, speckled, and striped. Jabin, I mean, Laban jumped at the chance. Says, "A oh, good, I've got you again. You ain't never going to leave here. And he took it. He took it, not, not Jacob, but Laban went in and got it and moved it three days' journey. There ain't no way any of this is ever going to intermingle and cause conception to take place in these flocks. You ain't never leaving town. You're going to work for me the rest of your life. Now, he did this because Holy Spirit re revealed some things to him in a dream. He, I'm sure that one day he got up and walked out there and he looked out over the flocks and there's nothing out there that resembled the word of the God in his life. Lord, I've entered into a covenant with, with Laban here for the spotted and the speckled and striped. There ain't nothing even around here that looks like that. All I've got is the, the solid colors. How am I ever going to enrich myself enough to take my family all these kids I've got, these 12 kids, plus my two wives and my two handmaidens, how am I going to take them back home? I don't have cab fare to get out of town. Nothing around here resembles what I agreed to work for. You told me to do this. God did something. He told him something. You know what he told him? He said, son, go peel some sticks. Go peel sticks. Wouldn't you really want to hear a word like that? Well, he tells you the same thing. You come to God and you say, God, <coughs> coronavirus is this and coronavirus is that. People at work, this, and the government's doing that, and this is taking place over here. The economy's messing up. Inflation's kicked in. Gas now is up to $7 a gallon. And you go on and on and on. What should I do? And he says, oh, just go home and read my word. Just go home and read my word. You're like, no, Lord, you didn't hear what I said. I need to know something right now. I need to do something. That'd be about the equivalent. He told him to go and peel sticks. Now, what in the world is peeling sticks going to do with what he had need of? As he took those sticks, those rods, the Bible calls it, and he started peeling stripes in them. Isn't that what he wanted was stripes? He began to see things. And if you do it long enough, you'll see spots, you'll see dots, you'll see stripes, you'll, whatever you keep focusing on it, you're going to start seeing it. You see, what he had need of through meditating on what God told him to do happened in the flocks. It happened in the flocks. 
peeling sticks and setting them down there at the watering trough where the cattle conceive is not going to change the genetics of those flocks. If that'd be the case, all the deer in Alabama would look like pine trees. That's not the case. You see, it was what was in him. And what we need, you and I, is the word of God in us. We don't need the suggestions that will bring anxiety. What we need is the word of God. I don't want to have to experience Jacob. I mean, uh, uh, Job. I don't want to have to go through what he went through because of fear having access into my life. I want to stay abiding, abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And if we're going to abide under something, shouldn't we abide under the shadow of the Almighty? I think so. Hallelujah. Well, I think I'm through today. I've got much more to say, but this is, this is where we're going to stop. So with every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around, I want you to understand something. There is really no middle ground. There really is no middle ground. Either you yield your heart and your mind to the Spirit of God and practice praying and thinking and living correctly, or you'll yield to the flesh and to the suggestions of the devil and find yourself torn apart by worry. There is no middle ground. So where you are today, I want you to understand something. Picture yourself seated with Jesus. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, continually interceding for you. He understands every emotion you have. He understands every frustration you have. He understands every temptation that you'll ever be faced with. That's what his word says. So deliberately make a decision. Say, Lord, I'm just going to give this to you. While you're seated there, just go ahead and say, Lord, I'm going to leave this with you. You told me to turn over my worries to you, so I'm now leaving these things at your footstep, down at your feet. I'm no longer going to try to manage these anxieties. I'm giving them to you. And I surrender it all to you. And I choose to walk free Of this choking, paralyzing fear. I'll not do it any longer. I will continually abide here at your foot. See yourself there. Picture it in your mind. This is my place. I abide in him. I abide in him. So if you're having to deal with these things. And it's bothering you. And it's paralyzing you. It's choking the life out of you then leave it with him. Just leave it with him. Right where you're seated. And you say, Lord, I just give this to you. I give it to you. Let me pray with you. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change because you don't change. And Lord, I thank you that just as you blessed and promised those saints of old as they walked in your word, you've made promises to us as well. And as we walk in your word, as we abide in you, and your words abide in us, we can ask what you will, and it'll be done unto us. So, Lord, no more fretful prayers, no more prayers of of anxiety, no more worries, prayers of faith. 
because of your love towards us. I bless the people today as they leave. Bless coming in and bless going out. Declare blessings on them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.